everyone. Hi, hello. It is me, Allison Rosen. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I'm sitting here with Casey St. Ange, TV comedy writer, co-executive producer of Watch What Happens Live with Andy Cohen, currently doing a short stint in LA, which is why you're in town. Yes. But also, uh, best week ever, you wrote... For David Letterman, yes. I was his assistant, but that's where I started writing. That's awesome. And Joan Rivers, Mm -hmm. and probably a ton of other. And you wrote a a young adult book. Yes, and I wrote for the Rosie O'Donnell show, the original one for many, the whole time. Right. (laughs) All right. So we will get into all of that. Um, but yeah, how is your, how's your LA trip going? It's been great. We're, we've been at the Palace Theater in downtown Los Angeles and, um, it's been very colorful and what a great theater that is. It's very cool, possibly haunted. Um, <laughs> have you seen anything that would suggest it is? Well, I'll tell you what we were, um, myself and another producer, uh, Zara Finley Shurious were um we were interested so we happened upon some type of ghost hunting blog that or something <laughs> like that that um was talking about the palace theater and the history and so we were saying oh they say that a lady appears on stage a ghostly lady appears on stage and we were reading it backstage to all of our um colleagues and then we both instinctively stopped reading before the next part which actually was scarier than a ghostly <laughs> lady appearing on stage and then suddenly this big industrial metal door slammed shut and nearly killed a crew member oh my god <laughs> so we were we were like yeah it seems haunted <laughs> but like in a good way it was just like a warning like don't read that really scary part out loud. right do you believe in all that stuff um sometimes i do and <laughs> sometimes i don't but but mostly yes i mean let's be honest i do <laughs> okay so your last name is pronounced saint Ange. yes i have mispronounced it on the show and perhaps you're thinking when did it come up on the show and i will tell you but i feel like actually i've mentioned your name more than once but i know one specific time we were talking about permanent makeup oh and i think i had just seen on instagram you had your eyeliner tattooed tattooed on on, right yeah um i don't want to take a huge diversion from your incredibly impressive and inspiring (laughs) career i only want to spend 50 minutes talking about the fact that okay explain because the idea of having a needle that close to my eye scares me it's gross (laughs) Um, I'll tell you that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it just, I was spending so much time talking about time putting eyeliner on in the morning and you have to do it and mess it up and reapply mm. it. And so, and are, and are you like me where no one can talk to, I can't, I can't have a conversation while I'm putting on eyeliner. You can't talk and you, I can't do anything. I'm really testy. It makes me really sweaty for whatever reason, <laughs> like super sweaty putting on eyeliner and you'll get one eye perfect and mm. then the other eye not perfect or you'll get them both perfect and then open your eyes and it will all transfer right. to like your upper eyelids yes. or I I find I'll get one perfect, one not perfect, and then I somehow have to make them both not perfect so they yeah. look the same. Yeah, it's it, it's just like it's dumb. I was spending <laughs> a half hour every day that I could have been 
Well, I could work out, but I'm not, I'm not using that time to work out, but <laughs> something like I could be doing something, maybe just like laying around and yeah, relaxing. You time. So, yeah. So they put like, um, anesthetic cream on your eye, but it still kind of hurts. And then the like, the lady, the little lady doing it, like made fun of me the whole time because she kept being like, your eyes are shaky. And I was like, you're stabbing a needle in my <laughs> eyelid. So yeah, I'm a little shaky, but, um, but it's overall not too bad. I'm a tattoo girl. You are. So, yeah. So I have some tattoos. And so getting it must a- be in hidden locations because I'm not seeing. I mean, I re- I'm not yeah, aware that yeah. I'm seeing a tattoo girl right now. I don't show them a super lot, but they're just, you know, on my arms and back and stuff. But You're um, a real Dolly Parton. A real Dolly Parton. I know I've heard that about Dolly. I love that. I hear also that it's not true, but I super hope it's true that Dolly Parton is covered in tattoos. That's what I heard like too. very pastel tattoos. Yeah, like rainbowy. Yeah, yeah, past, like, and that she wears like a nude illusion type, like cover up bodysuit to cover everything. I hope it's true. I, I Dolly, feel like, I feel it, like you. Sorry, I cut you off. Go that's ahead. okay. No, I'm just saying. If Dolly Parton is listening, I hope it's true, and I hope you come out about your tattoos. Oh my god, I want her to be listening. How amazing would that be? She could listen to this podcast. We I, don't know. Yeah. Um, I feel like you're enough of a showbiz insider that you could find out. Don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I guess she she definitely has been a guest on shows that I've worked on like over the years, but I just I didn't know it wasn't like a rumor going around at the time, but I can definitely ask around. But also if she wants to be super private about it, I don't want to like force her hand. But Dolly, I mean, let us know. let us in. Let us know. Yeah. Yeah. We want to know. Yeah. But I can also understand like maybe wanting to keep them private for whatever reason. So, Dolly, I kind of respect your privacy, but not Totally. I mean, it's funny how I just, you know, I believe it because it seems believable, but I'm wondering, is this like a Rod Stewart stomach full of cum kind of situation? Oh, yeah, that's true. And like the, the, just an urban myth, the gerbil. Right. Richard Gere. Richard Gere. Yeah. I mean, now that I'm older, I, I think that that's not as plausible as I thought it was. Oh, did you believe it back then? I mean, probably, probably. I feel like I fell for it a little bit in the like, well, where there's smoke, there's, I mean, everyone's yeah, like, sure. there's got to be, you sure. know, but I don't believe it to be true anymore. Well, now we know how likely people are to just believe things that are total lies, like it happens every day now. So, I mean, you can't blame us for believing Rod Stewart put a gerbil in his butt. No, it's Richard. Gere. I mean, oh, Richard Gere, yeah. Rod Stewart. Oh my God, I'm he so sorry. He had a sorry. stomach full of cum, but I don't yeah, know why. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. How did? How do you fill your whole stomach with it? Right. How many? Pe- yeah, I don't. I don't remember the circumstances of how he had that. I, but, I'm just going to guess someone knew someone knew someone who knew the doctor who. Yeah, we're, we'll put it on the list of mysteries. To okay, solve. that you're getting to the bottom of. Rod Stewart <laughs> was recently on Watch What Happens Live, sort of recently, and I feel like I could have asked him. Maybe like if I had thought about it, he was very gregarious. Hmm. So I probably could have asked him about that. He might have like. He might have. He'll probably out. think it's funny. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. He was very like, he was like a funny little elf. Oh, God. Now I want to ask you who's flipped out, but I, you probably can't, you can't divulge. Well, I mean, I think Andy has said like that Jillian Michaels has sort of flipped out on the show. Like that she basically, <laughs> like she finished doing the show, but she wasn't happy about it. And then she kind of like yelled at all of us on her way out. <laughs> But um, yeah, so she had a flip out. She wasn't, she didn't like some question that a viewer called in with. Hmm. 
I wish I had seen that episode. Yeah, it was funny. It was funny, actually, because my friend Melissa Rausch from The Big Bang oh, Theory yeah. was the other guest. And she was there when Jillian Michaels like walked by and flipped out. And I was I was so embarrassed because like, I'm, I'm like, oh, my friend's here and I'm trying to act like I'm important. <laughs> and then like I and everyone got yelled at by Jillian Michaels. What was her yelling like? Um, Just like how she yells at fat people on The Biggest <laughs> Loser. <laughs> Or used to. I don't even know if she's on that show anymore. Um, yeah, it was just, you know, she's just had like opinions. She would, she would yell at you to like run on a treadmill faster. <laughs> um, speaking of, I just read the piece that you wrote about Oprah. Oh. Which I guess got, uh, I don't know, would you say it went went viral? Like semi-soft sem- viral. Yeah. I don't know the different levels of viral. I don't, I There's mean, like full-on outbreak. Yeah. And there's just a little under the weather. Sometimes I think something that I do goes viral and I feel so cool. And I'm like, oh my God, 30,000 people read this. And then I see something that really went viral and I'm like, well, get over yourself. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, but I think still, it, it got, it got around. Yeah. It got a nice amount of attention. It was just like originally like a, like just something that I wrote on Facebook in like a few minutes. And then um, my friend Daniel Kellison uh who's great hi daniel um he's a great television producer and yeah yeah you know him he's at josh and we worked together at letterman and he very sweetly was like listen i think this should be like an article and he was just super encouraging and great in a way that like just really was very touching and he was like if there's anyone like can i get you put you in touch with anyone maybe that i have friends at magazines but ultimately i just put it on medium but then it was published on vox and so that's like my version of viral well it was um i just loved it it was really it kind of gave me a little epiphany and i don't want to put words in your mouth so why don't you say what it was about well i was just saying that like when um you know, everybody remembers a while back when Oprah just made a ton of money for signing on to Weight Watchers. And I'm, ha- I was just saying that I'm super happy for her, but also I've been down this road with her before. <laughs> this has been like such, you know, such a huge part of the fabric of like us knowing Oprah. And the up and the down. Yeah, the up and the down and just all the announcements of like a diet that she's going on and then she loses weight and then she gains it back again. And I was just making the point that like Oprah is the person in the world that I think is most capable of doing anything. And if she is not capable <laughs> of losing weight and so keeping true. it off, maybe it's just not possible in the way that you and I think it is and that she thinks it is. And Even, that society tells you it is. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and and just also like that Oprah's feeling guilty with all the <laughs> right, good right. she does in the world and all the amazing things she's done for people and for herself that she's like still has this like shitty thing that she feels guilty about and feels like she's not good enough. And I'm like, you are the definition of good enough, you know, and so she's a very strong person. She's very determined person. She's a can do person. She can literally do anything. So if she can't meet this challenge, like I don't think it's as easy as maybe everybody's just saying, well, duh, you know, Mm -hmm. eat less (laughs) or what? I mean, like obviously she has access to anything and anyone to help her do this. Right. And she's been up and down and right now she's down and I'm so happy for her. Even though she loves bread, even though she loves bread, 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 (laughs) I love that Maya Rudolph sketch. That was um, <laughs> so funny. Uh, but yeah, she loves bread and like, you know, is bread going to get the better of her again? And is she going to like, you know, it's it's insane. And, 
yeah, I'm just, I'm waiting for that and I hope it never happens, but I just <laughs> want to get off like the merry-go-round a little bit because I'm the same way. Like the only difference between my up and down dieting and Oprah's up and down dieting is that she gets like millions of dollars every time it happens and I just get like, you know, sad. <laughs> so, you know, so yeah, I just was like, I'm just not going to think about it anymore because you just think about it constantly even oprah thinks about it constantly mm. all the people she knows she could like who could oprah call up on the phone everyone Every, anyone anyone she could she could call the queen of england on the phone and chit chat with her if she wanted to but she's like you know just like the rest of us thinking about bread and <laughs> how much bread she ate and if that bread is gonna make her gain five pounds i mean I just feel sad that she cares about it, and I feel sad that I care about it. Well, yeah, well, that's what I wanted to ask. How's the self-acceptance going? Because I, lo- I love the idea of I'm not going to live with this idea that there's a better version of me, and until I get to the be the better version of me, I'm just going to hide. You know, like I love, I love liberating myself from that idea, and yeah. yet I'm so – I mean, especially because in, I gained – so much weight in pregnancy and I'm still carrying around so much of it yeah that it's it's it is tempting for me to just be like I'll just like I'll just emerge when I'm you know thin again yeah if I I get thin you know yeah and it just it just might not happen like right you know or it might you might not be you won't be the same because you're a different person inside because you're a mom now and you're a different person like biologically like Mm -hmm. your body just accomplished your body made a person (laughs) you know and so it's just it's not that easy to just bang like you know become something else like right you know we have things working against us I mean the thing that I struggle with the most is like maybe like my own image like I I go between like well just don't look at yourself a lot or like maybe it's better to like look at yourself all the time and like maybe you know so yes it's just I'm just trying to figure out like what's the better way like if you look at yourself all the time you get used to how you look and and that can be okay, but sometimes it's just really hard. And other times I'm like, well, just don't look at yourself at all. But you can't go around like covering up mirrors like it's a Well, it's that's a sort wake. of similar to my thing of like, I'll weigh myself four times a day and then yeah. I won't be surprised, you know, or, oh God, or I'll, yeah. I won't, you know, I won't weigh myself at all. Like I, yeah. my relationship with a scale is very... Yeah, Back it's and funny. And they, you just have like those weird, like, I'll like take off my earrings, wipe off my lipstick. Yeah. And I'll like, take off and, my watch. <laughs> yeah, you know, and then I'm like, then you pee first. And, yeah. you know, it's just, it's nuts. And it does seem like a, just a waste of mental energy and shame. It's exhausting. One thing I did do that on the acceptance tip is um, that. I went through like a process. You can go do this thing. Uh, you can get like your body composition me- measured in this thing called a bod pod, which is kind of funny. Um, <laughs> but it will tell you what your lean body mass is. Mm-hmm. And then a healthy for women, like 25% of body fat. So you can take what your lean body mass is and then add like, you know, multiply by 1.25 and that'll tell you like maybe what's a healthy weight for you instead of like a chart that you're going on right and what I've learned personally is that my lean body mass like if I had no fat on my body if I was like beyond an athlete and was zero percent body fat which would also equal dead but (laughs) is a lot heavier than you would think right so it that made me feel better because I was like oh I was beating myself up 
to get down to a weight lower than this, mm-hmm. but like lower than dead. You know what I mean? Right. So like, so that's disordered and, you know, kind of shocking, but it's also good to just learn like, oh, this is what you are. Like, you know, this is, this is how you are. You're not going to like lose like bone weight or, you know. Right. So unless you have ribs removed, like share, like share, which is totally true. Too, yeah. Dolly Parton told us. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. That'll be on the list of celebrity <laughs> mysteries. But yeah, if there's like a bone reduction. Right. Um, that, that thing about this is just who you are, I feel like is something that I, more and more as I get older, I think I'm trying to, I try to figure out like how much of the, of what I, the parts of my life that I still think might move around, you know, yeah. the, the stuff that's fluid, how much of that is just who I am Yeah. How much and how much do I need to just accept that? I don't know. It's weird. After having a child, especially, I find that I'm just confused in the in the motivation and life goals department. Yeah, I feel less driven career wise, but I think it's a good thing, actually. Um, And I read on your blog, there was like a really, really great piece you wrote that I think initially was a letter to someone who wanted to be a comedy writer in New York. Yeah, yeah. And it was just a ton of of great career advice and philosophical as well. Um, And you were talking about some realizations that you had had at that point. Yeah. Which I think you when you it's it's pretty recent, right? It's I don't think it's I think it's a little bit old, but it's kind of like I put it there because I just figured like this is something that like whenever people do ask me about this I kind of try to say the same thing and it's not necessarily short and it's just my advice and my take on it so like at least if I can like collect it all in one place then I can just share it every time which I hope that's not jerky and if I've ever said oh just read this this is like (laughs) it's not that I'm not but it makes sense because you you have a successful television writing career so I imagine young people all the time say like how do I do that yeah a lot a lot and I think like it really weeds out like people that truly wanted because I think a lot of times when people want say that they want advice some people want advice (laughs) some people just want you to tell them that they're great and Mm -hmm. they don't really want advice and some people just want you to like give them a job right and you know the thing you have to realize is that so few people are in a position to give you a job and probably like just asking for like advice nebulously isn't like gonna put you at the front of the line Mm -hmm. for when they are in a position to put you in a job but yeah I was just trying to say that like you know and I I was just trying to say all of the things that I've thought and I think like you know our experience as women is probably a little different um a lot different not even a little different a lot completely different than what a man would experience um trying to do the same thing and maybe that's changing a little bit and I hope that it is changing and um but I think when you have a kid like, you know, your career is your love and like you're doing that because, you know, because you love it, hopefully, um, and because you're good at it. But then when you have a kid, that's like you you do work because you love your kid. So you want you hopefully. Right. <laughs> and you 
have a kid. Because, well, jury's out on mine. Yeah, yeah. Well, I you got like to get to know him better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, so, yeah. So that's so your your purpose becomes a little different. It's a little less self serving, and hopefully, you can do all the. You know, you can be a parent because you're good at it and because you love it, and hopefully, you can support that by doing a job that you love and that you're good at. But sometimes, you know, you'll you won't always get to do that. I think you were saying, tell me if this is right, that the the realization that you had had around the time you were writing it was that where you arrive career-wise, where you end up is, or your career ultimately is kind of a combination of, I'm trying to remember specifically the, of the two things. It, it's your determination and your talent. Yeah. Ambition. It, I think like ambition is it's people have negative feelings right, about that s- word. Yeah. You know, because, you know, when you think, especially when it's attached to a woman, like an ambitious woman is like, that's, sh- yeah, she'll stab you in the back. That's yeah, what that exactly. Like. Hillary Clinton's an ambitious woman. <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, whereas ambitious when applied to a young man, I think doesn't have that negative mm-hmm. connotation. So I'm careful to say that. But yeah, your, your sort of drive, your hard work, meets your talent like intersects with your talent and i was saying that sometimes i've known people that are extremely talented that aren't really hard workers but then i've also known people that are extremely hard workers that are maybe not as naturally talented and they'll sort of end up like in the same place Mm -hmm. you know and some of these things are like teachable like i think your i think your work ethic is teachable and i think you can learn how to be a harder worker and i think you can even learn how to be a little more talented um some people are just you know they're just born and they've just got it but i've seen people like really learn and and improve at their craft but i don't think that if i think if you keep working at it um in concert with becoming good at it like i think you'll wind up sort of where you're supposed to be um you know and that's not to say that luck doesn't enter into it being in the right place at the right time because it surely doesn't. I've been really lucky, but I also think like it's so corny, but you make your own luck. Mm -hmm. Like you put yourself in the place where you could get lucky, you know? So I get a lot of like, you know, I really want to be like a TV comedy writer. And like, so how could I do that from Iowa? And I'm like, (laughs) you can't, you know, like, I mean, maybe you can, maybe there's some new magic way that you can do that. But you really can't, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, so when you talk about like making your own luck, I mean, like you're definitely not going to get lucky in that way in Iowa. So you have to decide, am I going to go to Los Angeles? Am I going to go to New York? And then you make yourself lucky by getting a job on a TV show or like being a page or something, anything, you know, so you're putting your yourself in the place where lightning could strike when you start to apply that hard work Mm -hmm. and talent, you know, so you, you just, yeah, you have to be smart about it and it's not going to happen in Texas for the most part. Also something you said about like, no one's going to say about, about someone like he was so gentle. Yeah. (laughs) Just, I really think like, um, one thing that was so great when I worked I was David Letterman's assistant. That was my first job out of college. And it was super great experience. That's where I learned how to write a joke. Um, 
by writing his letters because he was super into like sending letters for everything, thank yous, um, requests, everything. Mm -hmm. And so there came a point where I said, you know, since I'm writing these letters, can I like try to make them funny? And he was like, well, yeah, but they really have to be funny because I'm not going to sign something that's like unfunny (laughs) because it's coming from me. So I would bring these letters in and he would read them over and like sort of correct them. So it was really like getting an MFA in joke writing, which was great. And then if he liked it, he'd sign it. And if he had problem with um with the way I had expressed any joke, he would, you know, make red marks on it and I'd go back and do it over. And um and these were like hand typed letters until we figured out how to rig our typewriter as a printer for our computer. And we would like barricade ourselves behind the door because I just felt like if he knew that we were using it as a printer and not the old fashioned typewriter <laughs> way, he'd be like, no. You know, like he just was an old fashioned guy. Wait, how can so you do that? I don't even know someone that we worked with that I won't implicate figured out like a tech genius figured out how to do it. But so we would, so was it oh, like a player piano? Like it would just yeah yeah. That's it was amazing. It was amazing. And so um yeah, so we would like barricade ourselves in the office and use the typewriter as a printer. Sorry, Dave, if you're listening with Dolly Parton. Um <laughs> and yeah, so they for sure. Are. <laughs> so that's where I learned how to write a joke, and I started writing monologue jokes and submitting them like I would come in really early write jokes before I had to like start to do my assistant duties like Mm -hmm. getting breakfast and um, other things lining up pencils whatever I did Um, and so that was a cool experience and I got some jokes on the air but I wasn't really I didn't feel like I was ever really going to be taken seriously maybe as a writer there because I was young and also maybe because I was a woman and because I worked for Dave and he said like kind of like you know I bet they think that like if they made you a writer like maybe you'd come running back to me if they said like bad things about me and tell me or because oh. i had like a relationship with them right. not a relationship no, like, you, you know yeah. you know i'm just being clear because you know history <laughs> um but but you know i did have like a personal talking relationship with him because i was assistant so um so yeah so that was a thing that we talked about sometime and he knew that i wanted to be a writer but was that the goal originally yeah, that was always the goal. And so when the Rosie O'Donnell show happened, um, Daniel Kellison, who I mentioned early, earlier, had left Letterman to become the executive producer of Rosie O'Donnell show. And so he called me up and he was just like, um, I met with Rosie. I told Dave that I wouldn't even try to poach anybody, but I really think that she would like you. And if you were interested in it, I would be willing to talk to Dave and ask if it was okay if he just came for an interview. It doesn't mean anything and, you know, no hard feelings. And so Dave was like, yeah, if you're interested, sure. So I went into the interview with her and I a truck splashed water all over me when I was walking there. It was a rainy day in New York. So I showed up just like bedraggled and muddy. <laughs> and um, she was so nice about it. And she was just playing video games on her computer. Which one do you know? Um, I don't know. That's a good question. Hmm. I should ask her if she remembers. But um, really, the first thing she said was like, okay, so I know you're coming to interview to be my assistant, but you can't just want to be an assistant. Like, what do you really want to be? And I said, I want to be a writer. And so I told her that I'd been writing jokes. And she was like, that's super cool. And um, hired me to be her assistant, which was great. Um, 
How old were you at this time? Oh my gosh, I was like maybe 23 years Mm -hmm. old. Um, And so it didn't work out so great with me being her assistant because I just was like a very different style of working. And all I knew was like being Dave's assistant and she was much more casual and I was much more uptight about like, you have to be at this dentist appointment (laughs) at this, you know, and she'd be like, you have to relax. But the interesting thing is, and I remember this so clearly that when people would come to the office, I remember Colin Quinn coming to say hello to her because he was down the hallway at Saturday Night Live. And she said, um, Colin, this is Casey. She's my assistant, but really she's a comedy writer. Oh, And I was like, oh my gosh, why did you say that to Colin Quinn? And she was like, that's what you are. Like, that's what you do. Um, it Just because you're not getting a regular paycheck for it doesn't mean that that's not what you are. And that's what you're going to be, you know, so that I really felt like every person she would introduce me, you know, this is Casey, she's helping out in my office, but she's really a comedy writer. And then really within like a few months, a position opened up. And so bang, like I got that job, the position at a position as a writer at Rosie. Right. So, which was good because I was bound to be like permanently fired from being her assistant. <laughs> so you were, were you stressing her out? Is that what it was? Yeah. Or? I think I was just like, yeah, I was super like, because Dave was very precise and, um, yeah, he, he just was like, you know, it was kind of like, yeah, he's just very precise and mm-hmm. she was more casual. Right. So I think that I was like stressing myself out <laughs> And yeah, it was just very different assistanting styles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but she was like, sincerely, like, I love you so much. And I made you leave this job. I really like you, but <laughs> we have to find something else for you to do. So like really briefly, I was an associate producer in the human interest department, um, which was super fun. And I got to do like some really amazing segments, but it really was only for like maybe four weeks and then... I got a job as a writer. Mm -hmm. And so what came after that? What came after that was like, well, gosh, like when the show ended, I turned 30, moved to a new town on the same day that I had a baby. Like, you know, the list of like the top five stressful things that can possibly kill you. (laughs) Like I did three of them, four on like within like two days or whatever. So my longtime job, very lucrative (laughs) job, especially for a young person ended. We moved to a new state into a new house. I turned 30 and had a baby. So that was that. Yeah. And um, so I just like, I chilled out for a little bit until I did like, I worked on a couple shitty shows. I can't even remember just, you know, the things to like pay the bills Mm -hmm. because, um, you know, my husband is also a writer. And so he was doing like freelancing or like he might've had a job at like a PR firm or something, but the, you know, those, whatever that was, it wasn't his passion either. So we're trying to like find our way. Um, yeah. So I just worked on some shows that were so bad as to not even be memorable or worth (laughs) mentioning. And then, um, and I also got to produce like a show on the Food Network, which was really like my first job kind of being almost the boss of something. So that was cool. What show was that? Um, It was, what was it called? (laughs) Um, It was a show that was hosted by two women who had been writers and producers on the Rosie show. Um, and, uh, it was about like one would cook like a full fat dish and the other would cook like a leaner version of the dish. Oh, I, feel like I remember yeah, that. Yeah. What was it called? I don't know. 
I don't know. We're, we'll find out. Though. Oh, my God. How embarrassing. Jeanette and Christina, if you're listening to this, I'm so sorry. With Dolly Parton. Share. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. So that was kind of cool. And then, yeah, then Best Week Ever was really like my first very, very full-time job, um, like after my kids, mm-hmm. you know, after Rosie and after my kids were around. Right. The first one where I was like, oh, God, like I'm going back to work, that feeling. Mm-hmm. You moved to a new state. You had been living in New York? Yeah, we lived in Brooklyn and we moved to Connecticut for a number of reasons, schools and to be closer to family. Right. So how is that commute? I ask as someone who now, now that I have a kid, we are looking for a house. Yeah. Um, and our, our search keeps taking us further and further away from everything just because it's so ridiculously expensive out yeah, here. And yeah. also there is that, I totally now have that thing of like, just go somewhere really nice where there's nice schools and it's calm and it's, and you can get a house and it's like all of that feels far away. So yeah, I mean, there are good and bad things about, about anywhere you know so we moved to this place because it had great schools um in the town that we live in but also a lot of people are incredibly wealthy like wealthier beyond our wildest dreams and so that's kind of a weird situation because we're not wealthy like that um but and i've often wondered like what was this going to make my kids like really messed up or whatever yeah. but i think i think now that they're getting older and uh, you know i think maybe it wasn't such a bad thing and and they're doing okay and the commute well when you're talking about commuting an hour that's an hour probably in the car but for me i'm on the train i could like do is it only an hour that's not bad it's like an hour into grand central but then like a good half hour <laughs> for me to get down to right. soho so that's a little bit whatever but i can read on the train i can i wrote a book on the train so you know so i can if i choose to i can use that time wisely and then i just come home in a car mm-hmm. at night because it's so late so. Did, did you take how much did you take any time off when you had your kids oh i for sure did and that is when i for sure learned that i was definitely not a stay-at-home <laughs> mom i love my kids my husband's a much better stay-at-home parent than i ever was um yeah so that's when i was like wow how was that realization for you? Because I I don't have it so much anymore, but at the beginning when I was figuring out how to take care of a baby and when he was, I mean, he's only three months now, but yeah. um, when he was like just a mushy newborn, you know, yeah. I, and I was up all hours, I had this feeling of what if I traded in something that I, a career that I was pretty good at for being just a mediocre mom. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, it's really interesting. I don't know that I ever envisioned like being an amazing mom, but I think that um, I was really lucky because when, even when the babies were little, like my husband always just had the attitude of like, you carried the baby for nine months. So I'll get up as much as possible, you mm-hmm. know? So like, I wasn't, I really wasn't like super sleep deprived. Like most of the moms I know, or like where everything falls to the moms. Right. Like he really did way more than half of the work of, you know, that little baby work that really like, right. Just makes you feel like you're losing your mind, <laughs> um, which is so great. And he, 
you know, he did stay home because he was able to work from home and I was in the office. And then once my son got a little older, he came to daycare at Rosie. So that was super cool. But um, yeah, I've never been like that mom that felt like I'm, I'm super mom and I can do this all on my own. I always felt like a, a sense of like being overwhelmed mm-hmm. and um, worried about it, you know, like did worry about it a fair amount of like, am I just doing like a super shitty job at this? But then when I was offered the job at Best Week Ever and I it was going to be full time in the city and my older son was a little older and he's always been like this super wise little guy. And so I was like, you know, somebody offered me a job, but that would mean that I wouldn't stay home. It would mean that I would take the train and go to the city every day and work every day um, writing comedy, you know, for these young comedians and he was just sort of like, yeah, I mean, that's what you're born to do. Like, that's, <laughs> you know, and I was like, oh, is it? And he was like, yeah, that's why you're like on this earth to do that. How so old was he at this time? He was probably like maybe, maybe five or six years old. Oh my God. Just like you, you got to do it. You got to, you know, he's always like that. You got to try it. Like, you know, I, so many times I love asking him Whenever I'm trying to make a decision, he's 17 now, almost 18. Whenever I'm trying to make a decision and I say, what if this is a huge mistake to do this? And he always says, what if it's a huge mistake not to do it? Oh my God. Can I get his number, please? (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I I appreciated that perspective. But just at that time, I was like, oh, thank you, because it alleviated so much guilt. Right. And he was just like, you know, it, it makes you really happy. And like, it's better to have a happy mom than who's doing something. And, you know, so you're like leading by that example someone always has to earn money to to provide for the family and i just think like nobody i don't know maybe it's changing like maybe dads do feel terribly guilty and like they're missing out on on something everything but i know that there's not like the societal like questioning of it either you know like i don't know that dads sit around wondering if they're like failing at being dads i don't know Mm -hmm. maybe they do um, but I know no, I think it's expected. I mean, I, I know that my husband is he misses Elliot a lot during the day. Yeah. And especially now that Elliot has has more structured sleep. Um, that made it sound like a project. I just mean <laughs> naturally he's starting yeah, to sure. sort of be on a schedule. Yeah. And so Daniel will get home and Elliot will will already be asleep. And I think that's a bummer to him. Yeah, it's, it is. A but bummer. and I think he wishes there was a way that he didn't have to not be here all day. Right. But I, yeah, I don't think it's that thing that I don't think it's, I don't think it's as big and kind of heartrending as it feel, as, as I feel like it is. Yeah, for sure. The sort and of I, I think choosing like, and how to, how to, all these things that were cliches before. And now all of a sudden I'm like, I, I don't know if it's possible to have it all. And do I even like, what does that even mean? I yeah. get, I get all that so much more now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really like, you know, I don't know if moms are like more maybe like hormonally or chemically tied to, you know, like maybe there's a reason there's that pull there because like right nature is trying to keep you together for as long as possible. But also like nature sometimes makes it really tough for new moms. You know, that's what <laughs> postpartum depression is. So what is that telling you? Like get right. far, far away from your baby, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, I just think you just have to work with what you have going on. And I love my kids so much and I love uh being around them but also i love my work and i think that they love me more because of what i do and i don't think it's i hope not and they would 
maybe they can um, email you and tell you if this, <laughs> what I'm saying is a lie. But I don't think that they have ever been like, oh, shoot, like I didn't have my mom around or whatever. And I've always sort of brought them around what I was doing, too. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like it's I, I know like when we were growing up, I'm certainly older than you, but a lot of kids I maybe didn't even know what their dads did or what their parents did. Um, and I know that my kids know for sure what I do. I think they could do what I do. <laughs> I think they could like step in and replace me at any of my jobs because they've been there sort of so much. So, you know, so it's so it sounds like it the when you first took the best week ever job, it wasn't that hard. No, to it, be away. Yeah, I mean, in a way, but it, it was, but I think really just because of like guilt that I was putting on myself right. and everybody adjusted and, you know, and um, it's weird. You choose to feel guilty because of the thing that you're taking away. But if you could like flip it and choose to like congratulate yourself for like providing for your family, like, you know, that's the flip side of that coin. That's what you're doing. And if you can do it doing something you enjoy, like all the better, mm-hmm. Um, you know, burying yourself in your work to avoid your family that's a different story right so i feel like um keep a healthy amount of guilt (laughs) (laughs) i also i don't know if you relate to this at the very beginning and again everything's changed now because i feel like it's i feel like it's just crazy at the beginning yeah it just is but at the beginning i was like i think my husband might be more maternal naturally maternal than i am which was kind of shocking to me because i I don't think of myself as not a maternal person, yeah. but just to watch the way he was with the baby versus how I was. But then, yeah, I think it was just me sort of figuring it all out. And now I feel, I feel comfortable in the role and I don't feel that anymore, but it wasn't, it was both on the one hand, my son is lucky to have such a great father, sure. but also what is wrong with me? I mean, it was a lot of what is wrong with me. Yeah. I think in yeah, you feel that way. You do feel that way. And it's frustrating. And I I know there were times when I'm like, the baby likes his dad more than he likes me. But also on the flip side, if you consider it like from the outside, you've been with that baby constantly inside your mm-hmm. body for a really long time for 40 weeks, just you and the baby. And no matter what anyone else does to help you when you're pregnant, the truth, that baby is with you every second. Yeah. And you get to a point where it's even claustrophobic, like sharing your body with this other person that's yes. taking so much from you. <laughs> and so I think like the right kind of guy, like your guy, um, is excited to get involved mm-hmm. and, you know, and finally like get that closeness and like you can maybe get a little distance, you know, which is like, good you earned it you know imagine like if your mom was like glued to you for 40 weeks or you know just whatever if you had to spend 40 weeks with anyone constantly every moment yeah and you know and also I never like thought their... he needed some him time yeah exactly <laughs> you know could you imagine if someone like ate half your food for 40 weeks and like tried to share your chair <laughs> you'd be super irritated but a baby's adorable and of course like you know there's no other way to do it but i just think like sometimes the right kind of guy is just so excited to like finally roll up their sleeves and get their hands dirty. Right. And like, you know, I, at the time I felt exactly like you did, but I wish I could have enjoyed being like, Oh my gosh, like the, yes, they're finally together. And, uh, you yeah. know, more than I did, but it's, it's such an adjustment. Like it's a whole other person and that person is affecting the new person that you are and the mm-hmm. new person that you're, that your husband's becoming. So it's a lot. It's a lot. It really is. Yeah. And as the baby was coming out of me, I thought, I will never do this again. (laughs) 
and the crazy thing is that, and also I didn't enjoy being pregnant. I mean, I it we did IVF. It took a lot. Like it took a whole team to, to yes. create create this baby, um, and to make it happen. But the actual, and so I was overjoyed to be pregnant and to be having a baby. Yeah. But the actual physical experience of being pregnant, not my favorite. And the labor was was difficult. And so I thought, I, I cannot ever imagine doing this again. And I'd say within a couple of weeks, I was already thinking about if I can do it again, then I, yeah. I want to do it this way. And now I find myself actually kind of missing being pregnant, which is crazy because I really, I really didn't have much positive to say about the experience. It's just weird how nature works. Yeah, it's so interesting. I remember being pregnant with my older son and Drew Barrymore was a guest on the show. And she sort of like, she was so nice and like, oh my gosh, you're having a baby. That's so wonderful. And she really asked me so sincerely, like, what is it? What is it like to be pregnant? And I was like, honestly, it's so weird. It's gross. And, (laughs) you know, and I was like, my older son had this weird habit that they picked up on like habit like a like a a baby in utero has a habit but he was always like grabbing like inside uh-huh. like it's disgusting and then also like i hate feet so sometimes i would just get like on a track in my mind that there were feet inside my body and i would almost black out and i'd just be like oh because I, I was like there's balls inside my yeah body. exactly and i'd be like i wanted like i was always craving a whopper but i'd watch like fast food nation and that was disgusting and so i'd always get up to the counter to order a whopper and then almost throw up on the person <laughs> like trying to get a whopper and they'd be like ma'am like <laughs> either order a burger or get out or you know and i'd be like oh, i'm just like almost throwing up but i want a whopper but i can't get a whopper it's terrible like there's so much that and there's so much that's wonderful and i do think like again like nature is interesting because i think it like gives you some kind of like amnesia hormone because I said I had C-sections. So, um, I was having, uh, the C-section. It was a rough one. And I told the anesthesiologist, like, again, I think I'm going to throw up. And he was like, everyone thinks they're going to throw up because it's weird, but you're not going to throw up. And then I threw up all over (laughs) him and he was like, wow, you really did it. He would, that's amazing accomplishment. (laughs) And, um, but then just after, uh-huh. like, there was, like, you know, there was, like, a little bit of scariness where they were saying some, like, uh, you're awake, you know, so they're saying some terms mm-hmm. about how something wasn't happening that they wanted, like, my uterus wasn't contracting or whatever. I'm like, sorry. <laughs> um, but I just remember saying to my husband, like, next time we're getting takeout. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know where we're going to order another baby from, but it is not coming from me. Um and then you did it. Yeah. Then you just do it again, even though it was like kind of like a miserable physical experience <laughs> because like you get that whatever wave of amnesia hormone. But then the second time was actually much easier. So, you know, that's the hope. Yeah. <laughs> that's the hope. Yeah. Uh, okay. So took the job at Best Week Ever. Mm-hmm. Best, Week Ever Best Week Ever had a few different incarnations. Yes. Which ones were you involved in okay so i started working on best week ever it was already in full swing it was created by fred graver who had been a writer at letterman and left to be a writer on cheers and done all these amazing things i didn't work with fred but i knew of fred because he was like legendary in the office so he's the guy that hired me to come work on best week ever so it was the first incarnation it was already in full swing and i started writing on that and then event- so at that point it was like Doug Benson yeah. and 
Paul F. Tompkins, Fitzsimmons, Nick right? Kroll, Greg Fitzsimmons was on sometimes not as much as some other people, but mm-hmm. Frangela, Jessica oh, St. Clair, yeah. Melissa Roush, um, who am I forgetting? John Mulaney was someone that I um, I started helping to cast the show, and so he's one of the folks that I cast. Um, Chuck Nice, who I love, and I'm always so happy to see. But yeah, Doug Benson. Um, love i have like a wild love for doug benson that i try to express <laughs> i just love him i love that guy um yeah just loads christian finnegan oh, oh right, my gosh yeah. christian um yeah so so many just great young comics that i just really really super dug working mm-hmm. with and uh so it's great and yeah so i was there for a while and then actually vh1 asked us to um produce a companion a companion show to best week ever because it was a half hour weekly show and um sometimes just whoever was available would do that so um i was asked to produce it with nelson that's who just texted me on my phone when it made that noise um with this guy nelson walters and so we were like what you know what should we do what do you want us to do so we they just said do whatever you want because this was like a periodic thing that vh1 would like ask for like a companion pilot Mm. just to try something and so they were like who would you most want to work with so we're like let's get paul f Tompkins. he's amazing and you know we're both huge fans of his and came to love working with him and um so yeah so we produced this pilot for that that was for like an unknown companion show and uh, it was super fun. We had a blast making it. And um, just I just thought it was a really, really funny show. And we didn't think at all that it would ever get made. It was just like a fun project that that they gave us to do. And then we all went on vacation. And I went on a cruise where there's no phone service, nothing. And when I got back, my phone was just blown up with thousands of messages. And it was like these people from VH1 saying, well, not only are we making this show, we want to change Best Week Ever into this show that you made. And so it was like a weird situation because I think maybe we were given the pilot because nobody ever expected anything to come of it. And so we're super proud that someone had liked our pilot enough to want to make it. But also it was super weird that like people that we worked with, then we had to like kind of show them, you know, this is how we make this show and this is how we did this. And, and so it was weird. And then, yeah, and we were using other panelists less, which probably made sense financially for the network. Um, But it was, I think we were making a really great show. I loved that show so much. I feel like the network maybe didn't support it as much as they could mm-hmm. have. They didn't really explain to viewers that like this is what we're doing. I really w- what I really wish had happened is that they had kept the old show. Well, it's so, and- I never knew this. It's so interesting. Yeah. It makes more sense now that Best Week Ever with Paul F. Tompkins initially was a different show. Was yeah. a separate show. Yeah. A companion it's, show. Yes. Yes. Um why why did they decide to change best to have it replaced? You know, I'm not really sure. I mean, I'm just thinking like, you know, probably just sheer volume of like, we're bringing these guys in to like do, um, to tell jokes for like an hour or whatever. And maybe it's just cheaper to pay one guy. I don't know. Or maybe they just felt like the format was getting a little tired Mm -hmm. and they wanted to try to like try something new. Um, and I, yeah, it was really a bummer because I really, really, I loved the old Best Week Ever, but I really loved the version with Paul hosting. Um, 
and I think it was super funny and it was the kind of show where people that I really respected as very funny people would say, Oh my God, that's my, that's my favorite show. I I can't miss it. It's so great. And like really tell you back like bits that they really Mm -hmm. loved so that you knew they're being sincere, but I just think it didn't like, it didn't exactly the way that it came about was just kind of weird and like got off on a wrong foot Mm -hmm. in like every way (laughs) and wasn't, as supported by the network as it could have been. And I'm, you know, that happens. Like sometimes one person wants something and somebody that was involved with making the change shortly left the network shortly after. Right. And so then that person who had been our champion wasn't there anymore to be like, Hey, let's like get some commercials or some billboards or, yeah. you know, a poster <laughs> or whatever. So, um, that happens. It seems like so frequently. It really and does. It- I feel like it's rare that you hear of it happening and nothing bad happening because of it. Yeah. I mean, maybe those are just the stories you don't hear. But yeah. in general, it seems like when when someone leaves, uh, the projects that they were really closely affiliated with suffer. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was a bummer. I mean, we just we had a great time making the show. And I just remember Paul being like kind of stressed out because, you know, they we sort of knew that there was you know, maybe some issue with mm-hmm. like, not everybody is super happy with like the new direction of the show or, or like it's not exploding the way that they hoped, but it seemed like very soon to be expecting that, especially again, when it wasn't supported, which is, you know, that's, that's all you can do is sort of just try to like leave it there and let it grow and see if people come to it, which um I really, really believe they would have if it had just had a little more time But I just remember like all of us being kind of stressed out about like, well, what happens if they cancel the show? And then, you know, just sort of being like, well, you know, like that's out of our control. What's in our control is like what we're doing this week. And, you know, we got a show to do this week. So let's just like burn this shit down. Like, let's, you know, (laughs) let's like just set fire to everything and do the most of what we would have done, you know, no matter what. So even though it super sucked and I was really sad to like lose a show that I loved working with people that were actually like my dear, dear friends. I think it's like, um, it's good to have for everybody to have that experience of like having nothing to lose Mm -hmm. or like having everything to lose kind of, but also nothing to lose. Right. Like when I think of like when Conan was leaving NBC, when Jay Leno was taking back the tonight show, once he realized that happened, the shows that he did were so superior to, to anything. And it was Mm -hmm. because, you know, he just had nothing to lose at that point. And you can just be, your most honest self and do your most go for it comedy. And so I sort of felt like it was like that on a, on a lighter scale. Right. Then what'd you do? Then after uh, when best week ever ended, I got a call from a friend of mine who worked at this company embassy row. And she said, do you know Andy Cohen? And I said, yeah, I've worked with him a couple times. And she said, well, he has this web show and we're going to try to test it as a talk show. Um, it's going to be live. It's going to be at 11 PM. Would you be interested in talking to someone about it? And I said, sure. So I talked to this um, guy, Eli Lehrer at Bravo, and he just told me what it was going to be. And I said, yeah, that sounds good. I have background in live television. And um, so they brought me on for this show, Watch What Happens Live. And it was supposed to last for like a seven week test. And um, yeah, so that's, that's, 
I didn't realize you had been with this from the beginning. Yeah, from the beginning. Wow. Yeah, and it was funny. Um, like in the run during the run, my friend John Hodgman was um doing a book tour, and so he was out like staying in hotels, you know, out touring his book. And when he came back to town, he uh we got lunch together, and he said, "You know, I um almost called you from the road because I was clicking around, and I happened on this channel, and this guy's sitting in this little like den room." drinking whiskey and just talking and talking and i was like oh my god i bet casey would like this show um i should tell her to check it out and then i was like i work on that show <laughs> and he was like why are you not why do you not tell anyone where you work and i said well it's just because it was only it's only supposed to last for seven weeks and i don't want to tell everyone that i have a job because then they'll be thinking that i have a job and then it's over oh, right. in like a few weeks so i didn't say anything and he was like that show is like firecrackers it's not it's gonna last beyond seven weeks and um so i was like you think and he was like yeah it's gonna like they're they're gonna do this show it's he was like i don't even watch bravo and i don't care about it and i just wanted to watch this guy drinking whiskey so i think it's gonna last beyond seven weeks and now here it's eight years later um what do you think it was about the show that made him think you would like it like what was he picking up on um i think that maybe i've watched him drink whiskey (laughs) (laughs) and also like um I he I think he's a fan of mid-century modern furniture and we've talked about that and some of our set pieces mm-hmm. were very MCM and uh So it was an aesthetic. Yeah, thing. just like an aesthetic look and like a guy being like a gadfly in a suit <laughs> or whatever. So I think it's like it's almost like a show where you're like having like a little cocktail party with mm-hmm. someone cool that you'd want to hang out with and you know and John's like a cool guy, you know, so Did it start as once a week? It started, yeah, it was once a week and like we all like worked from home and only four people worked on the show, <laughs> which was wild. And yeah, we all just did everything, four people. And then like at the end of the seven weeks when we we're sort of like had just learned that I think that the show was going to go on for some more weeks. It was so funny because Andy was like, he was calling me Taffy for a joke. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Just being like, I can never remember that name. What's that girl's name again? Taffy. And then so at those, he's teasing me. But at the end of those seven weeks, he was like, you know what? I know it's only been seven weeks, but I just want to say this has been really cool. And I feel like I've known you for much longer. And then I was like, well, we have worked together two times before. And he was like, we have. (laughs) And then so that was hilarious to me. And then it's... Yeah, sometimes we play this game called Did I Get It that was invented by one of our PAs where people will ask him questions that he should know about like their relationship. Like, what is my spouse's name? And he'll be like, is it mine? And then he'll say, did I get it? So yeah, so she invented this board game called Did I Get It? And I guess that was probably the earliest example right. of did I get it? And he didn't get it. Is it actually, did she actually make a board game? Yeah, yeah. For oh, like, amazing. she got him in Secret Santa and she made him an amazing Hanukkah sweater with his dog Waka <laughs> um, that she handmade. And um, her name's Rachel. She's incredible. And she made a board game called Did I Get It? with ha- Which has pictures of all the staff members <laughs> and then like questions. I think it's like mostly like, what's this person's last name? <laughs> And you know, like the crew and like every, because our staff has gotten so much bigger than four right. people. So like PAs and stuff and like where, you know, what's this person's kid's name or whatever. And then, 
Yeah, it was really funny. We played it at our Christmas party and he totally killed it. He did a lot better than <laughs> I expected him to, but it was really hilarious. When it went from once a week to nightly, it, it, it sort of went from once to two times to three times okay. to five times. Well, I was yeah. going to ask what it was like, what, what that ramping up was like, but if it was gradual, then I guess it wasn't. It was kind of gradual. And then we were at three nights a week and then when we were still a really small staff, they were like, we're going to do just a test of five nights. And, but it was still a really small staff. So we did five nights and it really kind of like killed us mm-hmm. because we were doing everything and we were just, you know, it was a lot more work than, than we were used to doing. And I just remember Andy one night, um, like Diane von Furstenberg was coming on and he's friendly with her and she's fabulous. And we just all looked so bedraggled <laughs> and it, because it was like at the end of the thing. And he was just like, Oh my God, you guys, can you at least put on some lipstick? Like <laughs> Diane von Furstenberg <laughs> is coming. And we we're all like, okay, okay. We're so tired. Like, but just really like a look alive pep talk. But, um, but it was uh it was really fun and we accomplished it and then like an executive from um uh, from embassy row came in to like tell us that we were immediately going five nights a week like permanently and i think like we all like almost started crying and then she was like no no i'm just kidding like but good job you know <laughs> and uh so yeah so it was like I forget how long the time lapse was between when we did that wild week and then when we sort of hired more staff right. and, and went to five. But it was like kind of, you know, it was it was uh, done well and painlessly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when did you write for Joan Rivers? I wrote for Joan Rivers. I Oh, one of the shows that I forgot that was sort of between things is I wrote for Graham Norton. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a show on Comedy Central in the United States called the Graham Norton effect that was like a version of his show so Graham Norton from uh from the UK and so I wrote for Graham and loved him he was so great and Joan was always coming around because she was always doing things in the UK and doing things with Graham's production company so that's when I first met her and then um during the time when I was on Best Week Ever I worked on a pilot with Andy with her oh. on one of my hiatuses. And that's the first time that friends of mine, former Daily Show producers were producing. And so that was the first time that I really like worked with her. Mm-hmm. And it was cool because she just, they just asked for writing submissions for this pilot. And um, I just submitted and it was a blind like judgment process because um, I think her niece was uh, submitting. Oh. And so she didn't want to, you know, she, Anyway, so it's like a numbered submission process that was handled by these producers. And then uh, they just told me like, well, Joan wants to meet you. And then they were laughing because they were like, she was like, I want to hire this guy. (laughs) And they were like, number 19. Okay, we can bring her in, but it's not a guy. FYI. And she was like, it's a guy. (laughs) And they were like, why do you think it's a guy? And she was like, I've been doing this a long time. I know like a guy's writing versus a woman's writing. And um. So, yeah, so I came in to meet with her and wore, like, corduroy brown culottes, like an asshole, <laughs> like, from Marshalls. Like, why? I don't even know what I was thinking. But um, she was like, sorry, I thought you were a man. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, it's cool. And uh, she was just like, no, you just, like, you really, like, went for it in a way that sometimes women don't. 
because they're trying to like play both sides of, you know? So I was like, well, I figured it's a blind submission and whatever. Like if it was too far, then you'd never know who I was. You wouldn't know um, that it was me, whatever. You'd never know me. Um, but so, yeah, so I worked with, on this pilot for Bravo. It didn't wind up getting picked. Did, sorry. That's okay. She Didn't she also tell you not to ever like pretty it up? Yeah. Don't. She was like, just what you're doing. Just keep doing that. Like, don't get self-conscious. Mm-hmm. Don't be self-conscious about what you're doing because that's like the key to anything, isn't it? Really? Like Probably. to from riding a bike to like whatever. The second you start thinking about it, like even trying to carry like a full cake batter tin yeah. to the oven the second you start thinking about it you're going to spill so you have to just whistle through it and be like i'm being me and if i think this is funny probably someone else will think it's funny and if they don't think it's funny fuck that person mm. you know so um yeah so so great so full of great advice that pilot didn't get picked up but then she had like her manager contact me about like just writing stand up for her and you know just whatever so yeah so i did it for like seven years maybe long whatever time i was at best week ever through the end of her life i was still working for her that's amazing yeah yeah she was such a great lady and just always being like let me uh dial your mom on the phone i want to tell your mom how great you are (laughs) or what you know just something like or just like come to my house and have iced coffee which always cracked me up because she had like a butler (laughs) and it made me laugh so hard that she'd be like send the butler to like make us iced coffee and she would always just tell like any story she would love to just tell you any story and um yeah she's just super amazing and she signed the checks herself and she would always write like a little personal note and like a smiley face and in the memo line yeah yeah (laughs) i would just like keep them forever they have like i have all the all the check stubs (laughs) that she ever sent me so then you did you you must have seen that like You must have seen that uh, like card catalog of jokes. Yeah, thing. yeah, for Her, sure. What am I trying to say? Drawers. Yeah, with she the, had like the drawers. She with had the them jokes. filed, right? Yeah, yep, yep. And I actually asked her. I interviewed her for like this, like some comedy issue of some magazine, um, like a a boutique magazine. And it was such a great interview, and she was just amazing and so generous. But I did ask her, like, is there anything that like you want me to go through your house and get rid of? Like, you know. It, if you should ever pass away, like, what do you want me to get rid of? And she was like, no, don't get rid of anything. Like, I want everyone to see everything. So, um, yeah, she's just so great. I think the thing that kills me about her death is that it... I'm, I'm losing my train of thought. It just was so... It was, it was just so accidental. Yeah. And so it, I mean, yes, she was old, but it wasn't like her health was not failing. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that was, I I just spoke to her like a few days before and she said, you know, that she's going to get this thing done. Like every once in a while would just exchange if I wasn't doing something for her, just exchange like a, how are you email? And, um, yeah. And so I knew she was going in for that, like routine surgery. And um, that's just something that people do. You know, everybody, yeah. everybody does it. And uh, was it was it exploratory? No, or- no, she was actually having like, I 
think like a minor procedure done, okay. like uh, getting like a polyp removed or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. She, uh, but it was just like a mi- a relatively minor in office procedure, right? And that just went sideways, I guess. And you know, and I tried not to read too many of the details because I know there were like some sordid details of like people taking selfies with her or whatever when she was mm. under anesthesia supposedly Ugh. whatever but then i also heard that these were like good people like i know people that knew these medical professionals and saying that they're like good people and you know and that it's just a horrible accident you know and um but it's just one of those really hard lessons like sometimes you know people are like it, it'll you know, everything will turn out for the best and everything will be all right. And like, just sometimes it's not all right and it's Mm -hmm. not fixable, but that's a hard lesson in that, you know, like, yeah, you know, and just like staying in touch with someone and keeping connected and saying like, Oh, listen, I love you. You know, like I love you and you've done so much for me and I'm so thankful to you. And, uh, you know, just in case of anything, just in case of anything Mm -hmm. that like, I feel I feel as if she knew how I felt about her and how so many people felt about her and I'm so happy about that. And so, you know, no one you don't ever want to lose anyone, but I feel like I feel like she knows that she was like crazily loved by her daughter and her grandson and so many people, her niece Caroline, who's a great friend of mine. Um, yeah, so yeah, I just it's it's a hard lesson, but it's a good reminder mm-hmm. that like and I feel like what changed about me after that is that I really tell people like, hey, I like what you do. I love that outfit that you're wearing. Um, I you were just so kind to me. Thank you so much. And I know it sounds like so basic, but sometimes you just forget those basic things. But like if you like what someone's doing, like that's why they're doing that thing mm-hmm. to be liked to like you know, to have an impact on you. So if it's having an impact on you, clap or laugh or say like, I appreciate this. This is so great. Thank you for entertaining me or providing something for me or just whatever. So that was like a, that was a big lesson from that, Mm -hmm. that like, that's something that's constantly running through my mind all the time to say, you know, I love this. I like this. Thank you. You seem so sane and, and centered have you been to therapy? <laughs> um, just a little bit, like at some point, but um, I but think did, did you, is this just your your natural self? No, I mean, I think that I've grown up a lot, and that's one thing that I'm grateful to be older. Um, in a world where it's not great to be older, <laughs> like people, you know, feeling old. I'm staying at the Ace Hotel right now, and I've never felt older in my life. <laughs> like that bed is so low. And I'm just yes. like, if I see someone with gray hair in the elevator, I want to be like, how are you handling the bed? <laughs> it's so low. <laughs> so that's like how old I feel when I'm like, I can't reach the, there's no like shelves in the shower. And, you know, so I'm like, just feel super old and like not hip enough to be staying in the Ace Hotel downtown in Los Angeles. Um, but the one thing that is great about getting older is that you just gain some perspective on just, you know, what's right for you. And I still very much like 
in a lot of ways, even though my body feels old and I can't sit down on that bed properly at the Ace <laughs> Hotel, the inside of me still feels 15 in so many ways. And I think that's wonderful. Like I still really access those 15 year old feelings. And I really try to do that when I'm dealing with my kids. Like, you know, you can clearly remember how you felt as, at this age mm-hmm. and what you needed and what you wanted. And so can I give you what you need and what I think you want? Um, not that we're the same people. People, but I think we have like universal sort of feelings at the, those ages, right. maybe, I hope. Um, but I can also like access those feelings with the benefit of perspective. Like, you know, you feel like the world is ending. It's not really ending. Not because of this, you know, mm-hmm. not because of the thing that you think the world is ending because <laughs> right. of, it might be ending in other ways slowly. But, uh, you know, so just those kind of things and, and so not a lot of therapy, but also like I do like weird, um, I don't even know. Like I, I am an avid flotation tank user. You are. Yeah. And I think that that's, um, that, Honestly, like I think I had some breakthroughs in that Is flotation that tank. A sem- sensory deprivation tank? Yeah, yeah, like a saltwater um sensory deprivation tank. Like I think Do you have one in your home? I don't have one in my home, but there uh there's a place in my town that is super cool and so like um me and you know, Joe Rogan or like <laughs> really that's who I know, yeah. the two most enthusiastic flotation <laughs> tank proponents. How often do you do it? Um I haven't done it in a while. Uh just because um this place that I like to go to sort of changed hands and it's new. The owners. Bod Pod. <laughs> That's it. This is a different, but um I like pods of all types. Um so yes, yeah, so I haven't been in a while, but I like got a membership for and it was going pretty regularly and I really like yeah, really had some like super breakthroughs that um I think sort of changed me as a person, not to like put to uh, find a point <laughs> or hard sell on it, but I really do feel like it's sort of like a couple things that I realized floating alone for the first time, being like alone with my own thoughts in that way that like I came out like, oh shit, I might be like a different woman than when uh, I started doing this. So, and for the better, I think. I'm torn between asking about the mechanics and asking what the do you remember what the realizations were um just sort of yeah just sort of like accepting that accepting that everything that's happened in your life has happened and that you can sort of how do I want to say this? You can sort of like comfort yourself for the disappointments that you've Mm -hmm. had in your life. And especially if you feel like maybe nobody was there to comfort you. So I had a lot of like visions of like me, my age now, like hugging my younger self. I do that, you know? Yeah. You know, so (laughs) sort of being like, like, I'm sorry this happened to you. And I'm sorry that you went through this alone, but like, I'm here now and Mm -hmm. I'm telling you like, here's where you'll be, you know, and you'll, you'll be okay down the line. And so just, yeah, just a lot of that, like reliving, like sort of bad moments of my life and being there for myself, like in that moment, you know, um, in a way that like, for whatever reason, you know, because that's how life is. Like sometimes you don't share with people because you're not ready to at that time. Or sometimes they're, you know, just whatever, not to get too deep, but sometimes you like go it alone on some things in your life. So to be able to like sort of, because you're like 
in this like trippy flotation tank and like you feel like you can transcend time and space, you know, just a little bit of like going back and like picturing your little hurt self and being like, you know, let me, let me help pick you up and, and dust you off and give you a hug and tell you that like sometime from now you'll be this person that's hugging you and it's okay. That's interesting. You think that the times of your life that you were hurting and were alone were times that you could have like let someone else in, but you didn't. Yeah. I mean, it's a different, it's a different orientation than, but it's, but it's, it's profound to think that of it that way versus the like circumstances put me in that position. I think that there are things that like, you know, for me in my life, I think that I have a family and had a family that loved me you know, but just also, I also had some really rough spots in my family. And I think some things were just unsayable at Mm -hmm, the time. mm -hmm. Um, Just because of like, they're just unsayable. Like they're, you know, they're hard to say now, not as hard. But, um, you know, and that and a lot of kids go through stuff like that, where you just like, you don't even I don't even think you can like acknowledge that some things that happen in your life are like a real thing, like, Mm. you know, and that like, yeah, you just, you can't tell, it takes a long time to even wrap your head around that, like, this happened to you and that you could, like, even tell anyone, never mind, like, tell someone that's going to be crushed if you go to them and say, like, you know, this happened to me. Or, you know, when you get older, that's, you know, I'm talking about, like, being a little kid. But then also, yeah, just certain things like it's really hard like my dad really struggled my whole life I love my dad so much but he really struggled throughout my whole life to be a good dad to be a responsible person to be um you know and he he didn't win the struggle a lot Mm -hmm. you know so a lot of that is just hard to say like when everybody else's dad is coming home with a briefcase and you're like I don't know where my dad is you know um or were your parents together my parents split up when I was 10. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So, and then I just, you know, like, th- here's a really good example. Like, my dad did not live super far away and he still worked in the town that I lived in. Um, but there was a time when I hadn't seen my dad in a super long time. And a lot of dads in that, of that era of that time were just had a hard time being like divorced dads and like doing what they're supposed to do, which is like call your kid once a week (laughs) and get together, like come pick them up when you're supposed to. So I just hadn't seen my dad in like forever. And that's gotta be so frustrating for a mom, like having to listen to a kid be sad that they're not hearing from their dad. So, um, one day I was just on like main street in my town and I saw this guy come around the corner and I thought it was my dad. And I said, dad, Aww. and it was just like a guy. <laughs> and he was like, sweetie, I wish I was your dad. Oh, you know? so heartbreaking. And then I was like, I'm so embarrassed. How old were you? you? Know? So em- I was just like super embarrassed, like probably like maybe 11 or 12. And, um, so, yeah, so I was just super embarrassed. And so, like, that's a kind of example where I'd, like, go back and tell that kid, like, you want to die of embarrassment and hurt feelings right now, but it's okay. And that, thank God that was a nice man that said something nice to you. And, you know, you will talk to your dad again, just not right this second. And, like, he's doing the best he can, whatever that is, you know, so... 
because I hear that story and I just feel like my heart just goes out to that kid. Yeah. But so it's interesting and completely understandable to hear that your memory of it was the embarrassment part of it. It's yeah. like you were just a kid. Yeah. That's, I think, the thing that runs through so many stories like that. Just the like that all of us walk around with. It's like, yeah, you you were just a kid. You yeah. were doing the best you could. Right. So that like a le- 10, 11, 12 year old is embarrassed. But also me as an adult, my heart goes out to that kid. Yeah. So there's a little bit of like, and especially now like being a parent. And I think of all the times when like my heart goes out to my kids or, you know, kids they know or just kids in the world, you know? Um. So to like be able to do that for yourself is like kind of important. And I think, it might be like a huge key to like getting straight with yourself, mm-hmm. you know? So I, yeah, I think it's kind of like a big deal to be able to like, to, I mean, I know there's like been so much talk of like inner child, but it's really true. Like to sort of like take care of that inner child and go back and like fix some of those hurts. It is. I kind of remember when, I switched from thinking of inner child as just a hokey punchline to like, yeah. oh no, but there is some, le- there's so much legitimacy around it. Yeah. Because know? like, well, when you think about it, like, okay, like imagine like that you do have, or you have inner children because like what you're carrying around inside of you is every time you along the way got hurt, right? You know, you're carrying yourself at that age around with you and it's heavy and so like if you can like go back and i said fix earlier but i don't think you can fix something like Mm -hmm. that but you can be like it's not that big a deal right like i and like Like maybe might even yeah just soothe and say like you know you're loved and people love you and you know so then you can like sit you you can set that 11 year old down and then go walk away like a little lighter you know so um yeah so that's something that like you know when you relive like those horrible moments in your life Mm. like that would be on my list but i feel like if you're carrying around like all these kids inside you that are sort of like halted at this point where you know where this thing happened that you're always going to remember on the list of like terrible things that have happened in your life if you can address those like you know, one by one, then you'll feel a little better. So that would be one of the moments that I'd like relive in those like dark nights of the soul where you're just like remembering every embarrassing or hurtful thing that ever happened to you. And like now I don't go back to that in the same Mm. way. Like I feel like I get it. Like, you know. In this flotation tank, is it pitch black? Yeah. I feel like I would get really freaked out. I can think myself into feeling scared. Well, the one that I like to use, the one um, where I go, it's not like a pod that closes down on you. It's like actually like a room that's Mm -hmm. basically a bathroom with quite a big tub in it. And so there's, there's distance between you and the ceiling, like five feet or whatever. And it does have like, um, if you really panicked, you could push the door open and a little blue light comes on. Okay. So if you're really freaked out, but, um, which I have freaked out a couple times in it. Um, and I think that's normal. Um, but, uh, no, mostly just, yeah, it's completely dark and they play music in the water or sometimes I like to listen to binaural beats. Do you ever listen to no. those? No. Okay. But, I, but isn't that against sensory deprivation? I guess. 
I, I mean, guess it's not 100%. Yeah, I don't want... You could have silence if you wanted, but they'll play music or they'll play my beats right. with my phone through the thing to me. That which sounds is like more comforting to me. Underwater. Yeah, so you just know. Or it can be silent and then they'll just play music when it's time to like wake up, mm-hmm. to wake you up. Um, And... uh. Yeah, it's cool. So you're not, you know that there's, you when you walked in, you saw the ceiling, so you know how far away it is. Right. And every once in a while, you'll float into a wall and like bump the wall a little bit. So there are those those reminders and you could push the door open and get a light if you freak out. But mostly like I really like just um, having your eyes closed and then in that way that like your brain like makes colors Mm -hmm. behind your eyelids. So I like that like trippy like it's a purple show or it's a green <laughs> show or whatever you're getting. And, yeah. you know, and I'm sure you could say like, I want orange and then you'd start to see orange right. or whatever. But I just like to see what happens. It sounds like those moments sort of right before you fall asleep. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot like that. And um, some people say that like, if you do fall asleep in there, it's like, you know, it's like increases the benefits of your sleep exponentially. I don't know if I believe all that, but I just believe that. Well, I know that when I first, the first few times I did it, all I did was have thoughts, 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 thoughts. And eventually I was able to just not have thoughts, 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 and just like sort of empty Mm -hmm. out my mind. And that's when I sort of like started feeling like, oh, this is, this is cool. And I'm like figuring shit out. That's kind of like meditation. Yeah, kind of. Which I don't do. (laughs) I try to meditate. Um, Sometimes I'm more successful at it than others, but I do. I love binaural beats, which now if people who listen to this who make binaural beats are going to send me like 50 million, that's this is what always happens. I say that I'll like tweet like I'm listening to these beats and then Mm -hmm. somebody will be like, I made these beats. And then I get nervous with like homemade beats because I think they can like make you do something Mm out of character (laughs) right (laughs) i don't know but um but i have like a couple of apps that are like have different tracks for like this is supposed to help wake you up and this is supposed to help you if you're trying to be creative and And this is what are they are they yeah what are they yeah they're just like um songs with tones on not they're not songs at all sorry they're um oh my god (laughs) they're tracks with tones on certain wavelengths, like certain, like whatever megahertz. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're supposed to like do something to your brain that like elicits different responses. Um, a huge fan of Prince. And I believe that Prince also believed in like the, the tonal megahertz chakra kind of thing. I'm probably not as into it as he was, but I do. I listen to like this creativity track when I'm trying to write on headphones and I sincerely believe that it makes the work just go so much faster. At the very least it drowns out like any other noise that would be distracting. So I'm going to have to check them out. Check them out. Let's do just mirror everyone. But first I want to say you guys, um, I am on Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash Allison Rosen is where you go for that. It's sort of like Kickstarter. You can support artists, podcasters on an ongoing monthly basis. There's different reward levels. So there's a level where you get bonus episodes every month. There's a level where you have access to an interactive live stream. There's a level where you get merch in the mail. It's super fun. Patreon.com slash Allison Rosen is where you go for that. And if you like what you're hearing, subscribe. iTunes.com slash Allison Rosen. Okay. Sometimes I ponder on something I Is it just me or everyone? 
Okay, this is where people write in with things they think or do, and they wonder, is it just me or is it everyone? Uh, J-Mo's for A-Rose says, When a song is in my head, but I want to be quieter than humming or singing, I play the rhythm with my teeth. Um, I don't do that. I don't do that, but my husband is a drummer, and he does do that. And it makes him crazy. So he's like always trying to stop doing that. <laughs> I I wondered when you said it makes him crazy. I wondered, do you mean it drives you crazy? But no, he's driven crazy well, by himself doing it. Yeah, I think that it's like, it's compulsive, obviously. And he always drums with his hands, which does <laughs> drive me insane. So then I'll always grab his hands to <laughs> stop him from doing that. And then I think he starts to do it with the right, teeth. Something's got to keep the It rhythm. exhausts him. And then he's <laughs> upset. Uh, let's see. William Levi Walker says, I would never park in a handicap space, yet have no problem using the handicap bathroom stall. I actually have a question about usage of the handicap bathroom stall. Because I feel like it's kind of whatever one's open, if there's a line, that's where you go. Or are we supposed to be leaving that one empty? I think you are supposed to leave it empty, but I do use it. I feel terrible because sometimes like I just go in there to like, like where I work, there's a handicap stall, but I know that where I work, nobody is handicapped. So, and it's kind of like a closed floor. Right. So like, but I like to go in there and like stretch out. Like, I mean, honestly, like I literally do, I do something that I call toy lattes where I like <laughs> I use the bar to like stretch out and, you know, take a few minutes, which I mean, people probably think something very wild is going on in there right it's just like i'm like stretching out a little bit so i sometimes i do feel terrible when i worked at rosie one time our executive producer um helped us pull a prank on our warm-up guy joey cola that involved him using the handicapped stall and saying that we were being sued by someone who was in a wheelchair who um came to use the bathroom but he was in the handicap cell so he was our executive producer was telling him that we were being sued for like several million dollars mm. and he was freaking out because he would get all sweaty being the warm-up comic guy so he would go in the handicap cell to change his clothes right and he had done like a mean prank to us so we asked our <laughs> very serious former police officer executive producer <laughs> To tell him this story that we were being sued for several million dollars and that he was being like called into court. And um, how long then did they, this go on? It was so long. And then they, and then he was saying, like, Rosie needs to talk to you in your office, like with the the production company's attorneys. And this was on the floor of the studio and uh, the control room recorded it all. And then <laughs> when he went right to Rosie's office, we had the tape and we like played it to, and all watched and left it. I'm like, have a panic attack. <laughs> Another thing about the handicap stall is that oftentimes that's where the change, which I didn't realize until now, that's where they put the changing table. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like the the most space. space, You couldn't put it anywhere else sometimes in a bathroom. Greg B. says, whenever I see lineups for music festivals, I always look for bands I know, even though I never go to music festivals. Yep, I don't go anymore. But I do still scan the lineup to see, oh, who am I missing? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess I'm... I just feel like uh, since they started selling clothing that they call festival wear, that's a huge turnoff for me. I didn't even know that that exists. Where like all like flower crowns and like fringy outfits and stuff. And so, yeah, I just don't even look anymore. Sooner Magic says, because of TV movies, I now think of ice picks as murder weapons rather than useful tools. Yes. 
Whoever uses an ice pick it's to a pick long, ice. Right. It's been a real long time. That's just dangerous and dumb. There are so many better and easier ways to get ice. It's foolish to even yeah. try to pick at ice with yeah. an ice pick. Just push the button on your refrigerator. Come you on. You murder yourself. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. Ryan Mulholland says, wonder why I've never seen a fire truck getting gas. I've honestly never wondered that, but now that you bring it up, yes. Are there? Do they have their own gas pump at the fire station? That's a really good question. That would make sense, mm-hmm. but that would cause a terrible fire in the fire station. Oh my god! So meta, right? Um, I've only ever seen fire trucks getting groceries. <laughs> I've never seen that. Oh my gosh! Yeah, sometimes like a fire truck will pull up at the grocery store, and they'll because like they cook those big communal meals. Right. So like all the guys in fire gear will be like shopping for whatever chili that five mm-hmm. alarm chili they're making or something. <laughs> and lastly, Joe says, whenever the gas another gas related JMO, mm-hmm. whenever the gas pump asks me if I would like a car wash, I make it print out a receipt as the paper costs the gas station money. I've never done that. I never even thought about that. But is like, is this? Like you are going to ask me, you're trying to upsell me. I'm going to charge you via paper. That's what it sounds like. I feel like I need to know more. That seems incredibly petty, Joe. Yeah, Joe. Because you're costing Mother Earth. Truly. And it really probably doesn't cost that much money for one receipt to be printed out. But if everyone does it, (laughs) everyone. I mean, I think there's better ways to get back at a gas station if you're that mad about i guess i'm just wondering yeah why that why so much anger over do you want a car wash what if you do want a car wash and you'd say no just to spite yourself (laughs) right to spite the gas station but then you're cutting off your own car wash nose to spite your dirty car face is that (laughs) yeah does that mean anything what i just said it worked for me okay it worked for me yeah in general though i don't ever get receipts at the gas station no, because, like, what are you going to return your gas? <laughs> right. Uh, Casey, it was so much fun having you on the show. I loved talking with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. I know you had to squeeze it in while you're out here for just a couple more days. Oh, thanks for inviting me. I had a great time, too. So tell the listeners where they can find you and plug all your stuff. Okay. You can find me on Twitter at Casey, C-A-I-S-S-I-E. You can follow me on Facebook if you want. It's just my personal page. But if you want to know my personal thoughts, you can follow me um, um, on Instagram at Instacase. And you can watch Watch What Happens Live um, Sunday through Thursday on Bravo at 11 p.m. And uh, yeah, that's about everything. I feel like they should get your young adult book. Is it on Amazon? Because I'll link to it if so. Yeah, I mean, it might not 100% be in print, but if you can find (laughs) it, it's called Jane Jones' Worst Vampire Ever. It's about a teenage vampire who's blood intolerant. And um, yeah, it's funny. It's cute. Thank you so much. Jeff, where can we find you? You can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Colonel Jeff Fox. And was the name of your Food Network show Lighten Up? Yeah! We <laughs> found it, finally. And follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen. Okay, thank you again, listeners. Thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show? We had a good time, but now we gotta go. 
Kissing Rosie 